0: Welcome to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb, helping you find purpose and joy in your life and relationships. For more teaching and resources, visit largerstory.com. I'll back it. Now, some of you are embarrassed because you have no idea where it is. Let me tell you a little trick to save you from embarrassment. If you will simply thumb a few pages and then stop and look very confidently at wherever you are. And then as I read in Habakkuk, you can follow very closely in Ezekiel or Matthew, (laughs) wherever you happen to be. The fifth last book of the Old Testament. Go to Matthew and back up five books. The book of Habakkuk. Everybody have it? Habakkuk chapter 1 and just the first four verses the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, how long, O Lord, will I call for help, and thou wilt not hear? I cry out to thee violence, yet thou dost not save. Why dost thou make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored, and justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. May God add his blessing to the reading of his inspired word. I had a phone call some time ago from a a man, middle-aged man, and he called and said, you know, I'm sick and tired of being a phony. I'm sick and tired of talking a good game of Christianity. I'd like to know something about what it means to really know God. As Rabbi has been sharing with us the last few Sundays, knowing God is something of the supreme importance. This particular man knew that for about 20 or so years, he had been a Christian, but he had simply been playing at it, and there was no real sense of reality inside of this individual. And he wondered, how do I get it? I really want to experience God. But sometimes we tend to shy away from talking about experiencing God, Because we're concerned that there are many who go about this business of experiencing God, of feeling God, of sensing God, in a wrong sort of a way. And we're concerned uh, that we do not want to do that. But sometimes we overreact to the wrong ways of going about experiencing God and never really consider what the biblical way is and how God wants us to really experience him. It seems that there are just two extremes that we go back and forth between. Either we have cold knowledge where we do understand something about perhaps the attributes of God or certain doctrines about God, but it's cold. There's no living, urgent reality inside of us. Or we go to the other extreme from cold knowledge, and we go to warm lack of knowledge, and get all excited and get all up, but not because of content, not because of truth, but just because of some sort of an emotional experience. What God wants us to have is a real experience of himself that's consistent with truth that's consistent with knowledge. He wants us to have a warm, vibrant, real knowledge of him and of who he is. So many people don't experience much of that, don't experience much of the reality of God in their lives. My subject this morning, if God really wants us to experience himself and to understand something about who he is to come into a vital personal relationship with him that we do feel, that we do sense, that we do experience deep down inside of us. How do we get there? God wants us there. How do we get there? How do we get away from the spiritual treadmill that so many of us are on? of just coming to church and reading a verse and hearing a sermon and going to Bible study and singing a hymn, but never really saying, wait a minute, God has gripped my life. I know who he is. I know God. And that means I'm excited about him and I want to live for him only. How do we get from playing at it to really experiencing it? This morning, I want to suggest one way, one excellent starting point for ending up with a deep, profound, confident sense of that God is who he says he is, and that we are in vital touch with him, one good starting point for ending up there is confusion. A lot of us are off to a good start. Confusion. A good starting point for ending up with really experiencing and knowing God in a personal, living way. How does that work? How do you go from confusion to confidence, to the confident realization that God is there and he's in charge of my life? I want to discuss the roots. From confusion to confidence this morning, and I want to organize my remarks under three, under four headings. Habakkuk's confusion is the first heading. The second, Habakkuk's approach to handling his confusion. Thirdly, God's revelation to Habakkuk. And fourth, Habakkuk's response to God's revelation. First, Habakkuk's confusion the first four verses that we read, you get the feeling that Habakkuk is looking around the nation, seeing problems everywhere, seeing lawlessness and hedonism and anarchy and just great difficulties. It doesn't seem like anything's going right. It doesn't seem like there's fairness, like there's equity. It doesn't seem like there's justice. And Habakkuk is terribly dismayed. As a matter of fact, the original Hebrew has a thought here. It says he cried out, cried out unto God. The, the thrust of that is he was screaming to God saying, God, I see violence, I see so many things going wrong, nothing seems to be right, and God, I'm confused. Are you there? Are you really there? Why are you inactive? Why don't you come down and do something about this? You ever feel confused like that? As you look at your own life, you see problems, you see difficulties, you see that so many things are just going wrong and you just can't figure it out. Why, God? Why do you allow these kind of things to happen to me? Why, even though I've been trying to live for you, and I really have, as best I know how, I admit it, it's, it's certainly fallible, I've made many mistakes, but Lord, my heart is right, and I've been wanting to live for you, but nothing's going right. And Lord, I'm just confused about this whole business of Christian living. I'm confused about this business of knowing who you are and experiencing you, because everything seems to be so, so wrong when I look around at my life, at my family. At my country, at my world, Lord, I'm terribly confused. Habakkuk was saying. The Lord's initial answer to Habakkuk is interesting, it just kind of added to his confusion. You ever gotten to the point where you, you know, you're confused about something and you say, well wait a minute, I'm going to really exercise faith and believe this, so I'm going to go into this, and you end up more confused than ever? Trying to figure out your life, trying to figure out the meaning of things. Someone has said that we're way past the debate about science versus scripture. Certainly there are those who are still debating the point, but it seems that many, many scientists are recognizing that as they get more into the nature of reality, that it seems there has to be a mind behind all that's seen. The pressing problem today is less the age of science, or less the question of science, and more the question of history. Where is it all going? What's going to happen in our country? Are we going to be taken over? Will there be major problems? Where is my life going? What is it all about? How about the history of my life? Does it make sense? The problem for so many of us today is the problem of history. That's the major problem for so many people today. Habakkuk was confused. God came back to Habakkuk and said, Habakkuk, let me tell you what I'm going to do. You have told me that in the nation of Israel that things are bad. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, who are absolutely godless people. They're not my people. I haven't chosen them. They're simply godless people who are so full of violence. They're known for their cruelty, and I'm going to use them to take care of the problem in Israel. And Habakkuk's response to that was something to the effect of, Lord, that really doesn't help my confusion any. I'm still confused. The problem is still there, and now you're telling me you're going to use a less righteous people to punish a more righteous people. Lord, here we go again. The good, uh, the, the bad people seem to get all the breaks, and those who are yours don't seem to get any breaks. Lord, I'm just confused about this whole mess. That was Habakkuk's confusion. And I wonder if we share in that sometimes. as we look at our lives... And try to make sense out of it. And try to say, where is it all going? What's it all mean? Why don't the right things happen no matter how much I try and pray and read? I've got these hang-ups. I've got these problems. I have these difficulties. And things just aren't turning out right. More I'm confused. That was Habakkuk's confusion. Point two. How did Habakkuk approach his confusion? How did he try to handle this confusion that he was experiencing? In verse 12 of chapter 1, take a look at that. In verse 12 of Habakkuk... After being told the Chaldeans are going to come down and devastate his nation, Habakkuk says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You're a covenant keeper, God. Thou, O Lord, hast appointed them to judge, and thou, O rock, speaking of power, of might, hast established them to correct. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil. Thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. And then after talking about who God is, then he gets back to the question of, why dost thou look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Notice what he did. you see what he did? Here Habakkuk is terribly confused about problems. But rather than just continuing to ruminate and think about his, his perplexity and, and the things that are confusing him and saying, but why, 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 why? Rather than doing that, what he did is he established a context for his problem. He established a context for his problem. He wasn't sure of why things were happening as they were. And because he wasn't sure of this, he left it behind and he said, I'm going to think about some things that I'm sure of. I'm going to establish a context for these problems. I'm going to dwell on that which I know to be true. God, I know that you're there. I know you're eternal. I know you're self-existent. I know you're holy. I know you're almighty. I know you're a covenant keeper. I know you're faithful. God, I know all these things. And the answer to all of my questions must somehow be consistent with this framework of who you are. His first step was to get off of the problem and on to God. That was his first step. Let me illustrate that. Several years ago, when we lived in Champaign my wife and I were at choir practice one night. You didn't know that I was a singer, did you? If I were to sing, you still wouldn't know that I were a singer. And we got a phone call at the church from our babysitter who was home with our children. Did we have two at this time? Just one. Which one? <laughs> Keppy was there, our older boy. And we got a phone call from the babysitter telling us to come home because there had been an accident. And so we went home, and the boy had fallen off something and had hit his head on the side of a table, and there was quite a gash that was bleeding quite badly just above his uh, his eyebrow. So we knew we had to go to the hospital. We called our physician and met him at the emergency room. And our, our son, who was somewhere between about one and a half, maybe two, something like that. Um, I need help from the audience on occasion, you see. <laughs> our, our son was taken to this emergency room, and the first thing they did to this child, who was really suffering, he was he was upset, he was in pain, he was bleeding. The first thing they did was strap him into one of those horrible straitjackets, you know, they call them papoose, I think. And then they strap him to the table so he can't move a muscle. And then some and then some nurse got at the other end and uh, held and held his head so tightly with a vise-like grip so he couldn't move. And here's our you know our little baby lying there just wrapped up in a straitjacket like this, just scared to scare the death. You know, he must have been confused. <laughs> here he hurt himself, and we hurt him more. Does that make sense? One of the three basic fears of all children is immobility. And my child was rendered immobile. How would he handle the confusion of God? Why, why, is it, why are these bad things happening to me, or more at his level? Here I'm hurting, and you're hurting me more? How can he handle that confusion? Well, I don't know what he did. I don't know what he did inside of his head, but I'll tell you what he could have done, what I hoped he he, he did at that particular point. I hope that he established a context for his problem. His mother and I were both there looking, and as he looked up at us and knew that we were there, I hope he was able to say to himself, I don't understand what's happening, it doesn't seem fair, I don't deserve this, but I know my mother and dad, and they're right there, and they're allowing this, and I know what they're like, I know these people, I've lived with them for a year and a half, and they're kind to me, they don't hurt me. wasn't meant to get a laugh, folks. Just settle down. (laughs) I know what they're like. And because I know them, rather than focusing on how bad this hurts and why I'm wrapped up like this and all the rest of it, still I can know who they are. And even though I still don't understand what's happening, I know it's right. Because I know the people that are behind it all. When I was in second grade, I dropped a bench on my toe. That's not an easy thing to do. But I dropped the bench on my toe and it kind of splattered some and we were I was taken to the doctor's office my mother met me there when I was in second grade and my 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 toe was bleeding and the nail was uh, crushed and I was very much in pain very upset and the first thing this doctor did was to put two long needles in that toe that hurts isn't it amazing how doctors always go to where you hurt and then hurt you more you know if he would have touched my elbow that was in fine shape but he went right to my toe where it hurt and doubled my pain and I can recall lying there thinking you know this isn't right I was confused. But you know what? My mother was there, and I established a context for my problem. I looked up at her, and I knew that my mother was the kind of woman who would never hurt me without somehow it being for my good. I knew her character. I had lived with her for about eight years to this point, and I knew something about her. And even though I still didn't understand what was happening, it was beyond my level of maturity to understand why I had to be hurt more in order to be helped. That was still confusing to me. Still, rather than getting, rather than thinking about that, I could look at my mother smiling at me, and I had a context now. And there was a sense of peace. That still hurt, hurt like blazes, but now I knew. I knew the context of my problem. That's precisely what Habakkuk did. That's exactly what Habakkuk did. Lord, I can't understand this, but there's a context. God, you're holy. All this must be right somehow. It must all be working to a purpose. Somehow you're in control of this, God. I don't know how. The more I stay here and spin my wheels and think about why this and why that and try to figure it out, the more confused I get. So I get off of that, and I say, God, I know you're there. And I know you. I don't know much about you, maybe, but I know some things. I know a little of you, and that's what I'm going to focus on. His approach to handling his confusion was to get off the problem to get on to God and what he knew about God. And notice that his second step in handling his confusion. In chapter 2 and verse 1, after doing all these things and saying, God, I know who you are, I I still have problems figuring these things out, but now at least I've laid hold of certain truths, the answer will come within the framework of what I know to be true, of what I know to be reality, of who I know you to be. And then he said in chapter 2, I will stand on my guard post and station myself in the rampart and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. He went right to the Lord, recited to himself who God is, reaffirmed his knowledge of God, and then expected an answer. I'm going to stand still. I will stand here. I have given this problem to the Lord. I'm not going to spin my wheels and talk about it all the time. I'm simply going to stand here and attitude of prayer and saying, God, reveal yourself to me. But so many times what... We people tend to do, in the midst of our confusion, when a tragedy happens in our families, when something goes wrong in our lives, when there's a personal difficulty, and we say, why, why, rather than ever getting to God, we stay with the wise, we stay with our immediate concerns, get no answers, become terribly discouraged, and give up reading our Bible much, prayer life goes to pot, we come to churches once a month maybe, and we lose touch with the only one who can answer our confusion. Habakkuk didn't do that. God, I know you're there. Even though this is a big problem, I can't quite reconcile who you are and what this is. But God, that must be because of my immaturity. It must be because of my lack of knowledge because I know what you're like and all this must make sense from your perspective. So rather than looking here, I'm going to look here and say, God, teach me. And I expect you to teach me. I expect a fresh revelation from you. God, help me to understand this. And Habakkuk was rewarded for his faith. Those who diligently seek God, believing that he is, God will reward. And that's the third point, God's revelation to Habakkuk. (coughs) God told Habakkuk two very remarkable things. Habakkuk had a problem. He was confused. He couldn't understand why the people of Israel were going to be devastated by this more wicked nation. That was his problem at this point. Lord, I can't figure it out, but I know who you are, and I'm waiting to hear. And God told him. God said two things to him that were perfectly designed. God revealed that part of himself. God revealed that knowledge of him, which was perfectly designed and tailor-made to handle Habakkuk's confusion. You know what it was? Look at Habakkuk 2, the last phrase in verse 4. One of the most familiar phrases in Scripture, The just, the righteous shall live by faith. At least one thing that God was saying to Habakkuk was this, yes, I'm going to come in and destroy this nation for their national sins as a nation they need discipline. But Habakkuk, don't forget that any individual within that country is free to resort to the same kind of faith that Abraham had. He's free to exercise faith and he will live. No matter what happens, as far as what you see in history, Habakkuk, understand a higher principle. Let me move you to higher ground, Habakkuk. You're just concerned about the nations being going to be destroyed or going to be devastated. Habakkuk, move up a little bit. And inside that nation, any individual who would exercise faith in the living God, as Abraham did, would be justified. Habakkuk, that's something I want you to know because it's a help to your confusion. And then, of course, Paul takes off another New Testament as the cornerstone of his theology. When he states that, yes, it is true, the just shall live by faith, not just individual Jews, not just the Jews in the Old Testament, but now the wonderful truth of the New Testament is that anybody, Jew or Gentile, who exercises faith in God is going to live. I hope you all understand that very central point of what it means to live by exercising faith in what Christ did for us. I deserve death, I deserve hell, because I'm a sinner committed no big sins as we think of big sins, robbing banks or killing or this sort of a thing, but I'm a sinner, just like you are. And I deserve judgment, but God says, if you want to live, Larry, there's a way you can do it. I became a man, and I lived for 33 years without ever sinning once. And when I died, I died not because I was a sinner, because I, I never sinned. But I died because you're a sinner. And Larry, if right now you will simply by faith accept what I did for you on the cross and say, yes, your cross work Lord Jesus is the punishment that I deserve. I should have been hanging there. But you took my place and I accept you as the as my Savior. I accept your death as the death that I deserve. Then God says you've got to live. The just shall live by exercising faith in what he has revealed. That's the first thing he told Habakkuk. The to help Habakkuk. It's as if he said, Habakkuk, you're started with certain things that you knew were true about me that was a good step you turned to me in your confusion and habakkuk i'm going to take you now and give you a little more insight into who i am i want you to know me better and i'm going to let you in a little bit on how i operate perhaps in a fresh way the second thing habakkuk was taught by the lord in the midst of his confusion as you read chapter 2 of Habakkuk, you get the idea that God was saying to Habakkuk, listen, when the Chaldeans have finished with their disciplinary activity on my people, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to destroy them. The Chaldeans are simply instruments in my sovereign hands to accomplish my purpose for my people. And that sentence, by the way, summarizes the biblical philosophy of history. That all of history, God is working through all of history to accomplish his purposes, his concern, as his people. God is primarily concerned with those that are his, and God is making all things work together throughout all of history to accomplish his sovereign purposes in my life and in yours. Here Habakkuk is all concerned about the turn of events. He's saying, I can't figure out history. I can't figure out what's happening. And God says to Habakkuk, listen, if you want to properly understand history, you must understand that I'm behind everything. I'm a sovereign God. Nothing happens outside of my planned determination. Nothing happens outside of my desires as far as I I work through history. And I'm going to work through history to accomplish my purposes with my people. Let me illustrate that for you. Remember in Luke chapter 2? Mary, mother of our Lord, was about to give birth to a child, about to give birth to the Messiah. But she was living in Nazareth at the time, and the prophecy of Micah had it that he was to be born, the, the coming Messiah, was to be born not in Nazareth, was must be born in Bethlehem. Now, God had a problem. If he's going to accomplish his purposes, fulfill his word, then he has the responsibility of getting Mary from one city to another city. How did he do it? How did he get Mary from one city to another city? And when you think about this, you'll understand something about how big God is. You know what happened around that time? It just so happened that Caesar Augustus decided to declare a tax season. It also just so happened that Joseph the husband of Mary, had to go to tax headquarters in Bethlehem. And he took his wife with him. It also just happened that while he was there paying taxes, it came time for Mary to be delivered in Bethlehem. And the baby was born. you get the picture? Here God wants Mary to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem and to accomplish it. He has the whole world running around paying taxes. Just to get Mary from one city to another. Do you see? God is behind all of history accomplishing his purposes. His purposes will not fail. That was our opening him. His purposes are not going to fail. Satan cannot thwart the purposes of God. God is behind it all operating from the perspective of history, operating throughout all that happens to accomplish his purpose in my life and in your life. He revealed himself to Habakkuk in a way that restored Habakkuk's confidence What I've said so far is simply this, Habakkuk was confused about an area of his life, rather than spinning his wheels and continually asking the question, why, he got off of the problem and he got onto the Lord and said, God, I don't know much, I'm confused about this event, that event, this happening, but I know something about you at least, I may not know much, but I know something, I know who you are, I know you. And I'm asking you now, God, as I in simple faith depend upon you to reveal yourself, and then God did. Now, how he did it, I don't know. How God revealed himself, whether it was vision, or whether it was audible words, or whatever it might have been, or a sense within, I don't know. But God revealed himself to Habakkuk. God's a communicator. And God communicates today primarily through his word. As he communicated to Habakkuk, perhaps through some other means back then. Have you had the experience sometimes, I have, and I've talked to some of you who I know have as well, of being confused about something and not understanding what's happening at all, but saying to yourself, as a Habakkuk did, Lord, I'm, I'm confused about this, but I know you're there. Lord, help me out of my confusion. Lord, I, I, I just want to rely on you. And then at some point in the next couple of weeks or months or at some point, a verse of Scripture kind of pops out at you. And maybe it doesn't answer the question why specifically, but it gives you that fresh glimpse of who God is. You began confused, yet turned to God and he revealed himself. Has it happened to you? Has it happened that a scripture verse has popped out? Has it happened that a sermon that was given perhaps one particular line that was just tossed in incidentally by the preacher was just what you needed to hear? Has it happened even walking outside at night looking up at the stars, and just been thrilled with who God is and how big he is and how real and wonderful life really can be? And you've been awed by that. Have you had that experience? Having God reveal himself to you? He will. And a good starting point is your confusion. But you must go from confusion to the point of reliance on him and asserting what you know. A lot of us don't know much about God. We want to grow. So you start with just what you know and no more. Don't pretend. There's no reason for a Christian to ever pretend. There's no reason for a Christian ever to make up what he thinks or what he feels. There's no reason for a Christian to have to do anything but to rely upon reality. I've mentioned before from this pulpit, I believe, that several years ago I was to give a series of sermons at a church, Another church, four in a row I was to preach, and I determined that I did not want to preach anything that wasn't mine. I didn't want to get up there and just recite some things that I had heard or studied and just give a sermon. I wanted to say something that had been experientially mine, something which has gripped me. I I thought back on the preaching that I had done to date, and it seemed to me at that point that so much of what I said, it wasn't mine. I was simply uh, operating at a very surface level. I said, God, I don't want that. I only want reality. That's all I want. I want to know you. And I won't say anything other than what you've revealed to me. That's a pledge I make to you, God. For the next four weeks, I had to give four sermons. And after a vow like that, you're just about out of sermon material. Because what do we really, really know experientially? I knew one thing at that time. As I thought about it and prayed about it, God came to me in a very real sense, a very real sense of his presence, and I realized, God, I know you're there. And that was my starting point. That's why I enjoy the books of Francis Schaeffer so much. They helped me at that particular point. I love the title of his book, The God Who Really Is There, and I started with that because that's all I really knew. All that was mine, but I knew that. And then God helps you grow as you continue to rely on that which you know and ask God for further revelation. Notice Habakkuk's response to God's revelation, fourth point. You've covered Habakkuk's confusion. We've covered his approach to handling his confusion. We've covered the fact that because he relied on God, God revealed himself in a fresh way, and Habakkuk knew more about God because of this. What was Habakkuk's response to, to God's revelation? Look at chapter 3 in Habakkuk. In verse 2, it says this, Lord, I've heard what you're going to be doing. I've heard the report about thee. I have fresh insight into you. And I fear, Lord, it, it, it's big stuff. It's big stuff. But, Lord, now that I've seen you, now that I understand something more about you, I have one consuming drive. Lord, you revive your work. Lord, I want what you want. Lord, I want your purposes to be accomplished, and I dedicate my life to that because, God, I've seen you. I understand a little bit more of you. I have an increased knowledge of you, and now that I've risen above all these problems here and here and here and here and here to see you, Lord, so does it doesn't make sense down here, but I, by faith I know that it, that it does make sense according to your understanding, which is so far superior to mine, and because it all makes sense, God, all I want to do is to be a part of your plan, to be a part of your program. God accomplish your work. That was Habakkuk's response. But more than that, look at verse 16. verse 16, Habakkuk, after declaring that he knew who God was and that he wanted God to have his way, still, as he contemplated what was going to happen, he was scared to death. He was upset. He was trembling. Have you ever experienced that? Even though you really feel like there's a sense in which you know who God is, you're filling your mind with him, you're still scared? As you think about what could happen in your lives, a lot of people live their lives worried about what might happen tomorrow. A lot of us worry, saying, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Terrible things could happen tomorrow, and that's true. Bad things could happen tomorrow, bad as we would see bad, in a sense of personal loss or financial difficulties or death or illness, whatever. Certain bad things might happen tomorrow. I have no guarantee that they won't. I only have one guarantee, and that's that my God is behind it all and he's accomplishing the sovereign purposes of my life. And when I understand those purposes, I'm all for it, even though I still may be scared. Even though I still may be scared. Habakkuk went from confusion to confidence by understanding who God is. In the middle of all of his confusion, listen to what he was able to say at the end of his book, verse 17 of chapter 3, confused about the problems and not knowing what's going to happen, what the Chaldeans are going to do, and and the, the ravages that they're going to inflict upon the people of Israel, and desperately upset about it, yet knowing who God is, listen to what he was able to say, as he moved all the way from confusion to confidence in verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit in the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. In other words, Lord, even if we go through another great economic depression, even if my bank account fails, even if my health fails, no matter what happens, God, no matter what happens, because I know who you are, I'm able to say this, Habakkuk is saying in verse 18, Yet, in spite of all that might happen, I will exult, I will rejoice, I will be glad in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, the Lord God, Is my strength. Now that line wouldn't mean a thing to somebody who didn't know God. But because Habakkuk was in the process of knowing God better and more by virtue of how he approached his problem, he was able to say, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, the Lord God. I know him, and he's my strength. And he has made my feet like hinds' feet, and he makes me walk on high places. Habakkuk, what's your basis for that? What's your basis for the confidence that you have? His answer? I know God. I know God. I'm still because I know that God is overall because I know that God is a mighty sovereign God who's revealed himself to me. before a person can know God, there's one vital step that of course must be taken. and let me just reiterate what has said so often from this platform. And that is the only way to establish a basis for knowing God is to come to the cross. And to say, Lord Jesus, you died for me. And I accept that death that you died as the death that I deserve, that I should have died. Because I was the sinner. I'm the sinner, not you. And by virtue of saying, Lord, you pay for my sins. I accept the gift of eternal life. At that point, you're beginning the exciting adventure of getting to know God. How can you continue it? When you're confused about your life, when there are things that are happening, you just can't figure them out. You just don't know what's going on and you feel like God must be far far away or interested perhaps in everybody but you. And when you look around and see the injustice and in people that are not as sincere in you at least as far as as sincere as you, at least as far as you can tell, and you see them prospering and having all the things that you want, as you're confused, do what Habakkuk did. Say, wait a minute. I don't understand this. It's beyond me. But there are certain things that I know to be true. I know who God is. I know something about him. And Lord, I'm going to depend on you to reveal more about yourself. I need more confidence in you. I need a fresh revelation from you and God will honor that. And he'll reveal himself in a greater way to you. Your knowledge of God will increase. There's just no need for being spiritual phonies. Just no need at all. So many of us are. And yet if simply in our confusion we own up to it, And admit it, Habakkuk recorded it here in Holy Scripture for posterity. He wasn't ashamed to admit he was confused and mixed up. He didn't play a false spiritual game of saying, No, everything's fine. It doesn't get to me at all. I have no problems. Praise the Lord. He didn't do that. He said, Lord, I'm in a mess. Lord, I'm so confused. Lord, I can't figure things out. But Lord, I'm turning to you for help. Reveal yourself to me. And Habakkuk learned to know God. And on the basis of that, he had confidence. He moved from confusion to confidence. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit LargerStory.com.